Welcome to another episode of the Bomb Podcast, the breakdown of the music business with your host, myself, Lucas de Beer and Helmut Mayer. And we are excited today to speak to a neurologist and also the CEO of Neurozone, Etienne van der Walt. Etienne, welcome on the Bomb Podcast. Lucas, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. Helmut, well, we... We are more than just uh, acquaintances, right? So we've been around for a long time. So it's really good to see you again. Absolutely. And uh, I think uh, it may be worthwhile just to do the <clears throat> intro on how Etienne and myself know each other. It's a very long story, but we can give it a punch. <laughs> we met each other at a at a, a mutual friend's barbecue one evening. And Etienne was on his way. And that we'll talk about as well. Etienne is also an opera singer. Um, he wanted to make a record and... Our roads crossed and we ended up the night in his car listening to 80s music. And a couple of weeks later, yeah, when well that was a couple of weeks later, we started recording a project which ended up becoming more than just a solo record. It was the Aeon project of Love and Life. And um, I think from that day forward, we've become friends. And I mean, I've learned so much from Etienne uh, about mu- uh, music and the brain. And this is also the topic we want to cover today. And I learned so much of, uh, from Helmut, from you about um, women, music, and women. <laughs> this is going to be a long edit. Cut, cut, cut. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Let's so, stick to music in the brain then. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think it's uh, it's actually is it 15 years ago? Uh, it is 15. Uh, that was 2006. Uh, that was a good year, actually. It was. Um, I was still in uh, in the practice. I was still a practicing neurologist. I had a practice in uh, uh, in uh, in the city uh, and Cape Town, and I realized that I'm dying without this creative side. You know, you. Uh, and so I always said, well, before I before I die, I'd at least want to make one album. <laughs> and so, uh, and that album was was not opera. That was uh, quite a contemporary kind of uh, mm. light pop. Music. Mm. I remember we actually. It, it was it, it was a combination of of covers uh, that I thought just really really sp- um, touched me and moved me. Uh, quite a few eighties songs like uh, "Smoky." If Smoky. you think you know how to love yeah. me and "Ahas," uh, what was it? I'll do my crying in the rain. Do oh. my crying in the rain. And then of course, "Mad World" uh, of Tears yes, for Fears, fears. Oh. yeah, which has been covered by so many. But what we decided to do uh, is we decided to do two things with that well actually three things we said the cover must be better than the original that was quite arrogant but i must say you pulled off quite a bit of that the second one (laughs) (laughs) the second rule was always err on the side of passion oh and the third rule was if everything else fails never fail to entertain (laughs) <laughs> That's right, and we entertained ourselves. I must say, making that yeah. making that CD. No, no, for sure. For the guidelines, so I, again? Like the, I like the three guidelines. Yeah, this actually, uh, yeah, should be tick boxes and check boxes for uh, yeah. for everything today. Yeah, I mean, if you think about music, you know, I think just think about uh, opera for a moment. I remember one line that stuck with me when I was still studying opera, which is quite a new thing for me at the time. I realize that this must there's probably very few things that are more expression you know ex- um, so 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 wonderful to express your passion and um and so the line of controlled passion becomes an interesting one it's all about controlled passion wow 
Incredible. Uh, and so if you think about it, that's probably what it is, right? So if you've got the skill, you actually learn how to contain the passion and direct it within these fine boundaries of what makes singing or classical singing then that uh, the skill that it needs to be. And if within that skill, you can do not anything, you must basically let rip of your passion um, wow. while still actually then observing the, you yes. know, the, the music yeah. uh, rules. That was a fantastic experience, I must say. And it still is. Absolutely. And also, uh, maybe just for the listeners, uh, our little marketing stint here is not for free. <laughs> Excuse the pun. Um, no, we're not sponsored. Yeah, no, we're not. <laughs> not by Abbey Road. <laughs> but we were the first uh, South African, whatever, musical project to master a record at Abbey Road Studios with uh, mm. the venerable, venerable Mr. Jeff Besh. He's a fantastic guy. I mean, I'm, I asked you a week ago, I think, how, how Jeff is, is doing. Uh, the one thing I remember of Jeff Pesh, apart from walking into the um, into that that studio, remember when we just I think we were basically just a few days in London when we walked into the studio, and there were all these photographs and albums that he very recently produced actually with Madonna, yeah, was it Madonna? recently mastered, yeah, Kylie Minogue, Kylie Minogue um, yeah, and I think Spice Girls, Spice Girls, oh, he, don't, he did, don't don't give away the age, yeah, that's, uh, Spice <clears> Girls, <throat> sorry. But he also did a couple of Coldplay, Coldplay, Coldplay tracks of the early work, I think. That's right, eh? Yeah, so he was, uh, this, this, so we walked into the studio and it was just this, almost like a surreal experience. Of course, we, like everybody else, took a picture on the zebra crossing. Of course. <laughs> and, uh, but this was real because now we're also going to produce it. Yeah. Have a production. So there was a master, it was mastering, actually. So, yeah. Helmut, you, you produced and uh, you mixed the, the whole album here in South Africa. We then took it over. Mm. And had it mastered there by Jeff, right? By Jeff Pesch, yeah. And the last thing I wanted to say about Jeff uh, is something which is quite fascinating about it, Lucas, is that Jeff, had to, he was, he, it was compulsory. He was forced by his um, employer, Abbey Road, yeah. to play golf a minimum amount of... of I think every, every, alternate, uh, every alternate day. Yes. So every second day... He had to play golf. He was pay, paid to, reset, to play golf. To, re to actually reset his, uh, his, his earring. His, yeah. Someone, yeah. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, it's, uh, but, it's, but, but what was interesting about that, and we'll, get to, we'll uh, delve into the, the science of music now, but just interesting how a culture there mm. understand that you can't just, you know, put people through a sausage machine yeah. and yeah. Book, book you full from, you know, the beginning until the end of the week and without any breaks. They understand that... You're a living, breathing organism, and uh, your hearing needs to recover. It needs to rest, yeah. and uh, or maybe it's the brain that needs to recover, not your hearing. Well, I mean, you're touching on something which is quite fascinating. If you think about the brain, um, roughly the brain uh, is sort of made up of these three major parts, right? So you've got this very basic part of the brain, which is extremely, extremely. Uh, complex, and but it's the basic part of the brain that keeps you alive, which is the brain stem. And then you've got on top of that, you've got the limbic system, the emotional system. Yeah. And then the rest of the brain, the problem-solving brain, the learning and problem-solving brain. Of course, learning happens everywhere. Even problem-solving happens everywhere. Uh, we'll sort of get into, that in a, get into that in a second. But what I want to get at is, is that the brain stem regulates life through the rhythms and cycles. And so... If you think about uh, breathing, mm -hmm. nice rhythm. You think about loop-dup, loop-dup, 
lub dub, the hard, right? <clears throat> and you think about the hunger thirst cycles. Some of us don't observe that that easily. We're just, we're just hungry. <laughs> uh, and so on. And of course, some only thirst. <laughs> of course. That is, yes. 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 Drinking thirst. Hungry. Eat second. It works this way in Stellenbosch, <laughs> at least. But uh. So, long story short, I wasn't referring to anything but just water and good old juices. Uh, and if you think about the hunger-thirst cycle, there's a sleep-wake cycle, which is so well known to us. So, all these cycles, rhythms and cycles, are actually regulated, driven by the brain stem. Mm -hmm. And if you think about music, you think about Jeff Pesh, his alternate days, you think about rhythms... You think about what you said, Helmut, about, about actually the way that the whole brain-body system needs to continuously operate and perform through using rhythms and cycles. Even the sequences in our brain, the, you know, the, uh, the neural circuits use, basic, use these high-frequency rhythms and cycles. Uh, and so the whole brain-body system is rhythmical. And of course... Life is rhythmical. Mm, yeah. uh, the universe is rhythmical. Everything is <clears throat> rhythmical. So yeah. music in its essence is rhythm, right? And it's driven by the brainstem. So we're going to get into that a bit later if we talk about music in the brain uh, and how incredible music actually is a, actually always an, an, ex, uh, an expression of the whole brain in a very, a very fascinating way. But we'll get to that in a second. It sounds quite mystical, but which it is. Yeah. Rhythms and cycles. Wow. Jeff Pesh, Abbey Road. <clears throat> I want to, so yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. I mean, and also just, I, I'm thinking of even if you look at a waveform which represents the way we perceive sound, it's all cyclical. It's all mm. repetitions, amount of repetitions per second, the frequencies. Mm. And mm. Um, so, I mean, it, it gets very esoteric, but actually it's very visual and very basic how all of this is patterns and rhythms. Yeah, and, and at, the, at the core, it, that's what's shared with everything in life. So sort of one of the ways to really sort of as a segue into music in the brain is to really understand that at the core, music isn't so, so is, to me, it, you cannot separate music from life. Yeah. And you can't separate life from music in the same way that you can't separate the brain from the body, in the same way you can't, exp you can't separate speech from the brain. You can't separate um, consciousness from unconsciousness. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing. Yeah. They are not two different brains. And so the same with music. Music is, an, is in that way, uh, and it, as I, again I said it sounds mystical, which it is, because we have got a much better appreciation, I think, here in this day and age, of the interconnectedness of everything. Yes. And because we have that deep understanding of that, one of the reasons we have that, of course, is because we are changing at the speed of, this is a little ad break, we're changing at the speed of technology. And because of the rapid accelerated change, we simply can't actually stay on the curve of change on our own, so we need to interconnect. And so the human energy system uh, drives us, it's an economics issue, drives us to connect very deeply so that we can collectively, with our collective resilience, overcome the challenges. In the same way, the unconscious expression of this, if you think about, we, we, therefore we actually understand interconnectedness so much better, there's an unconscious expression of life itself through music. <coughs> yeah. Which means music is not an art form or something. It, it, you can say it's an art form, but it's actually just another expression, right, of life, of the way we work inside, something <clears throat> in the outside. Can I ask you a question on this? <clears throat> I remember back in the days, and 
I've had the privilege of sitting in on a lecture you did on music in the brain at the University of Westminster back in uh, London. Sure, that was way back. 2000. It was an extremely rainy day. Extremely rainy day, but a whole day at least we were together there doing. I wondered about those those students, and some of them might have become very well known film producers. Did they? You know them, right? I know of one or two of them that actually became British pop stars. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if it was me or you or both or nobody, <laughs> no one. But, <laughs> I, but I wish I could. I wish I could say, podcast. like any good break, breakup, it is not you, it is me. Yeah. <laughs> but I think uh, this is a this is probably you. <laughs> <laughs> this is a you problem. A you so, problem. Etienne, uh, here's a question: How does the brain connect to sound on a survival level? So. Sound on a survival level, that's a very interesting question. If you think about what Except the brain does... Except if it's does, not true anymore, but I remember back in the days, you explained how... Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, long story, let me, let, me, let me just explain a couple of things. I, I, I know where, you wanna, where you're going. I think I know where you are heading. But, but my, I, I want to take it one step back. And we need to understand that the brain stem keeps us alive. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the brain sort of builds upon this to actually ensure that we survive, which is to procreate, to mate, to have relationships, everything else. And then, of course, then we have to thrive in life. And thriving in life simply means that it doesn't mean that you are who are happy. It means that you are in a what we call a baseline relaxed physiological state. It's also the state that gives you high performance readiness, right? Deep breathing, getting ready for performance when you do a show. Yeah. You want to be in that baseline, relaxed, physiological state. People with a big match temperament, for example, the BMT, yes. are typically in that state when they perform. And they perform from that state, giving them the best acceleration of their expression of their, um, of their competencies and skill sets. Mm. Now, we want to be in a baseline, relaxed, physiological state. Then we, from there, we have to respond do whatever comes our way, right? So the brain, the brain has got a fascinating way of responding. The senses, um, we respond very much, much more readily to whatever comes from the side, and come at speed, fast, and and rapid and harsh, right? So here we get to the question. I think that's to answer your question. So the way we respond to to what comes our way unconsciously is the brain wants to be in a state where we have smooth, soft, longer um, um, music sounds. And so the moment you've got staccato, high-frequency sounds, the brain responds with a fear response. And the fight or flight, right? The fight or flight, exactly. And remember that we are much more uh, responsive to threats than we are to maximize rewards. So we avoid threats way more than we maximize rewards. The current thing is about four to six times as readily. I personally believe that every single reward is just a beautifully uh, constructed and candy-coated avoidance of the threat of death itself. Well, we can take examples, right? What is the greatest reward ever? Sex, right? So the reward of dopamine that comes with that, the, 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 the reward of sex... Uh, effectively removes you as far away as possible from the threat of actually not surviving in someone else. Wow. So yep. once again, it's the death, the death that's taken away. The, our enjoyment of food that we maximize. If you don't have food, you die. But we actually make it even better, so there's a reward. 
uh, if we, the relationships, the same thing. We need relationships not only because we need to procreate, we also need relationships because we need to stick together so we are socially, physically safe, mm. and then of course socially safe so we can, so the physical safety is the first thing that's downstream. Then the social safety gives us an upstream capability of collectively solving problems better, sure. being collectively innovative. Now, all of those things, if you think about it, sounds, music, yeah. enables enables and disables some things to ensure that we actually stick on this path of avoiding threats and maximizing rewards. And we use sounds in music in that same way. So we use the staccato and the harsh sounds to create that kind of downstream threatening kind of response. And then there's this interesting, very interesting kind of conflict in your brain, the unconscious, when you have this, but you also actually add some of the, the sort of, uh, you know, you would call them the more sort of minier, uh, beautiful stringy sounds in there, which is supposedly actually supposed to 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 actually uh, drive. A flow, I want to take you into this stream of a, a relaxed state, and then you have this interesting contrast uh, that is life itself, because this is life happening. Life always brings both of these at many, very often at the same time. Uh, so these are just some thoughts. Um, I, I get carried away. Sorry. No, 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 no. This, is... this book I read. Um, it's it's a music philosophy book. Philip mm. Paul wrote the book, uh, it's called The Music Instinct. Uh, and he said in the book, in the first opening couple of pages, that music doesn't really, it's with us, it's been with humanity since the start, but it doesn't really serve a evolutionary purpose. Mm. We won't die if we don't have music. And I always thought about that, you know. But now what you're saying now <laughs> kind of challenges that idea. Right. That maybe it does serve a very deep-rooted um, evolutionary function. Right. So what you're saying, Lucas, is a, is a very profound statement that has been with us for a long time, I think in a decade ago. In the last five years or so, we've been, the whole world is starting to cry empathy, right? We need empathy. We need to collaborate. We need to stick together through empathy. And so you'd probably be, um, you could you could, you could arguably make the statement that without empathy, we'd also be fine. So why do we need empathy? What is the real purpose of empathy? What is the purpose of compassion? What's the purpose of actually looking after your disabled? Oh. I mean, why do I look after disabled, right? Somebody with a, who's lost a leg or is bleeding out, just leave them, let them die. Mm. Because we need to, many animals do this, right? So there's, so there's something in there, and I'm just going to get back to the point of the purpose of music, something in there that starts to crystallize in this modern interconnected world where interconnectedness is now essential for survival. So the moment we accept that interconnectedness to give us collective resilience is, 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 is critical for survival, we also we realize that uh, there are two things that are critical for interconnected collective resilience. One is we need to be able to bond and to belong. We need to connect. Mm. So we need connecting. And the other one is we need to, to actually really leverage the value of the, of the diversity of the group. And how do you do that? You do that through actually the glue that glues us together so we can actually think in each other's shoes, feel in each other's shoes. Uh, those are two different things, right? So you've got the effective empathy, which is I feel in your shoes. The other one is cognitive empathy. I think in your shoes. I allow you to, because I know the human condition, I know where Lucas comes from because I understand that. Because I played in the sandpit, we had role play. I learned about the human condition. And I can put myself in Lucas's shoes. And therefore, I can allow Lucas's viewpoints to actually change mine. Mm. 
Now that's that's that, that kind of empathy is the glue then that actually utilizes the commonalities that's been established through the social safety and then allows you to collectively overcome the challenge because you work as a collective. Let's take it to music. So, so by the way, so why is compassion important then? And why is, why do we have to, we understand compassion maybe, but why do we look after the disabled? Arguably, we do that. I say arguably. We do that because we learn and we develop deep skills of empathy and compassion and that is essential for the collective to actually survive so there's an interesting thought process there right so we've actually actually started looking at teams for example to see does that does that disablement in teams if there's a disability enhance the empathy and compassion which enhances the collective creativity and our anecdotal findings are that it indeed does so um very fascinating idea now back to music so why is music then important well, we know that music binds people together. We know that music is an expression of culture very often and that when people are around fires in the, and, are, and we do that still, right? We're actually still around fire, the fireplace. And whenever we're together, the music that connects us gives us a sense of belonging and connectedness, which is critical today for the interconnectedness. So when you think about social safety, there's a major, major um, value there. It's an interesting thought. And of course, there are many others. We can get to that. Yeah, sorry. I just want to interject the question here. Is this, does the the concept of popular music, the fact that we agree on certain patterns, certain uses of sound, certain uses of melody, certain structures of songs, does this play into this? And, and how the concept of popular music have become such a baseline uh, mm you know departure point in music yeah so the question is you know the chicken egg question very often i'm i'm uh is this a question answer session i thought this is a conversation no well, we're listening go yes. for it <laughs> well, let me let me throw because i'm going to throw the question back to you <laughs> so so here's the thought right the the thought is that chicken egg question is we know that music new music genres and within these, even within popular music, there are, there are different kind of nuance, and you'll get to know the words better than I do, that develop over time. And all of, us, all of a sudden, everybody buys Enigma, but they don't, and, and everybody buys Enya. And, and what's happened there? Why is there a specific kind of new mm. kind of sound that is, was it born? Was it always there? Arguably, it was there, but it never actually took fire. It's a bit like you're lighting a match, but it just never actually... Yeah, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden you got the Mexican wave. And then you think that's where it actually started. But there might be around us many different... And they, but there were many yeah. different kind of sounds and tones and things that happen. And so, but when the time is right for the collective to really find the value out of that, that actually connects them and speak and connect them deeply, collect, do something to the brain, the whole brain expression of humanity, mm. it becomes valuable, right? And the question now is, can you exploit that? That's why I was going to throw the question back because I think you and I spoke about this a lot and I'm sure it looks like you too with, about, okay, now, mm. now, now you can take this and exploit it and try to stick with it and now you start to control and you start to regulate things by actually using the sounds mm. and, and that's probably not that good for the, for, for the system, uh, right? No, go for it. No, no, sorry. It's just so interesting talking about the collective but, um, you know, if I've, let me use my kids as an example. So my son... He likes the music that I like, which is angry 80s rock <laughs> music, <laughs> yeah. right? Everything you mentioned them from ACDC to Led Zeppelin and, on, and what have you. Yeah. 
Um, now, my daughter is 16. When she hears that, it, um, mm. she gets... Upsets her. Right? It upsets her. Yeah. She, mm. she, she, and she asks the question, why are they so angry? She can hear the anger mm. and she wants to turn it down. Where my son wants to crank it up. So you can just imagine what happens in the car. <laughs> up, up down, You're up very down welcome here. You can rest now. <laughs> Take a beat. <laughs> Stay as it's long as you want. Up, down, up, down. It's the so, rhythm thing again. <laughs> so so the, the point being, even uh, so, there are subcollectives, I mm. presume, then within mm. her little world, that they don't like rock music. Yeah. They like more. And yeah. I think maybe it has to do with the emotion that comes along with that specific genre of music or even a generational thing. Yeah, and I mean, I think the emotional expression is there, always been there and will be there. And to your point, I think the generational question is probably a more important one, but it might not only be generational. I'm going to ask, I'll throw this question out because I don't think we have an answer to that, but it's an interesting thought, yeah. is will we see new music genres um, and nuances of those born as a result of the pandemic, as a result of the whole global sure. pandemic of two years, of 18 months. Now we have another pandemic, the, the mental pandemic is rampant. So now you're going to have these two major events in the, globally that's going to be, arguably, if it's long enough, yeah. how is that going to affect the music we, we, the brain actually expresses and enjoys for the sake of, the, uh. of humanity? Remember that music serves humanity. Yes. We think it, it serves humanity in, a, in ways we just don't understand well yet because it's so complex. But that's an interesting question, right? I think this actually branches out a little bit into the psychology of... Um, and, and let me give an example of something I've learned from you and I've had the privilege of speaking in a number of places to explain how people actually come to appreciate stuff and how it develops and then if you have enough examples of something on your playlist or you hear something enough times on the radio your memory and learning function then makes you appreciate it all the more something you may not have liked in the beginning becomes uh, acceptable and then you start craving it you know right and over the journey now this is the question what is the mental state of the world what is the what is the the system of needs that we have in a, in like in a right. mental pandemic exactly and as a result what kind of leadership will be demonstrated and will that cause a number of other people to suddenly, you know, need something that they never thought they needed? Well, because right. I think this is how new genres develop, by the way. If you yeah. think how R&B and all those styles from well, look, oppressed yeah. cultures. Mm -hmm. and music was music of, of protest. Music well, a of big protest. part of it, you know. Yeah. Right. And so, so some things remain basically human. We talked about rhythm. We talked about things like timbre and... Uh, and, and the way that frequencies are, you know, are, are expressed uh, in different notes and tonalities and harmonies and so forth. They all, but they are the building blocks of the solution, which we call music. And the solution is a solution to a problem, which we often don't understand. And that's what I view. Music is not meant, it's so complex that it's not actually meant to really understand, but it is a solution to a problem. And, um, and, and, and that solution, uh, so it's, it's, you can call it a medium to a con, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a channel for, for an outcry, for information, but that's all part of the solution, right? You start to solve a problem by addressing it, by naming it, by then gathering enough momentum around it, and then to solve that problem with the resolution. And very often that music then becomes marginal in less never forget what, but what this did for us in the history and so forth. So, that, so that's where music for me is, becomes a very interesting concept and a construct. 
So in the pandemic, once again, there are basic things, but the basic constructs, how will this now, what, what are the things that we as an elk will be, what will the things as a, as a global humanity, we will together experience as major threats and rewards. Music is all about resonance and dissonance. Uh, it's all about reward structures, the dopamine that's released in our brain, the reward neurotransmitter. So we talked a lot about this, I went with a, 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 a class uh, in, uh, in, um, in London. And so when you spoke about this, the idea of the expectation and that you get used to something. Yeah. Um, you, you, anticip it, you anticipate yeah, something. Exactly. So there's resonance, mm. and then you can anticipate that. And so the resonance means I can anticipate something that's good and that's nice and I enjoy it because I, because I expected it. Oh. And then I get used to it. And then it becomes boring, but there must just be enough, just enough, not too much. Otherwise, it's too dissonant. Then it's like the rock for your the rock for your daughter. Yeah. Um, but if it's if it is just that dissonance, there's an unexpected re uh, um, re um, 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 a resolution, and that resolution that's unexpected creates the uh, uh, a lot of dopamine that's secreted in your brain, and that's the reward side. It says, "Wow, yes." So this was fantastic, and then wow! But it actually resolves. There yeah. is resolution, yeah. right? Things have to resolve. Okay, so now I have a question. Okay, but you can go first. There was a group on Facebook when it started. <laughs> Rock set fans, skip the verse. Let's get to the chorus. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know? Oh, it was don't bore us. Get to the chorus. <laughs> don't bore Remember us, that? that the, oh no, but that, but that was the um, <laughs> that was the name of one of their albums, right? Yes, don't bore us, so, get to the chorus. But it's the yeah. payoff that you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, that the release of um, all the good, feel-good things. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think using that, understanding that that is the brain. So the brain is always going to make use of resonance, ex of anticipation, uh, surprise, uh, resolution, uh, open, 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 and then resolve. Because if it's too quick, it's like, uh, you know, it's like the rhyme. Uh, it's, it's just a rhyme that you just sing and you mm. Baba Black Sheep. And even that's got open, open, and then it, uh, it resolves in the end, right? Da, 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 da. It resolves, right? And so it's open, open, and then it resolves. But the point is, all music still have to have all of that, but in very, very com complicated ways, which makes, which makes the brain now really interested, yeah. to your point, right? That's something we discuss a lot. And I think it still applies. And those are all rule, all those rules will apply in this post-pandemic mm. world, but they will be used in a different way to actually try to achieve something which is a problem that needs to be solved. And the question is, what is that problem that needs to be solved? And how will the music of the future solve the problem? If you can figure that out, you will make a lot of money because you will know exactly what the next hit's going to be. Yeah. But yeah. we you don't know that. stay five right. minutes after the podcast. We need to ask you something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I can't remember who wrote the book Inside the Hit Factory. Um, oh. Is this the Swedish, the Scandinavian? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. The Scandinavian yeah. book. Mm -mm. Yes. I just knew uh, that this, you were reading this, it a this lot. This is very unproed not to remember the writer's name, but his content was so good, so he's, I could, could forget his name. Yeah, but I think it's about 1,500 pages because you read, you read that book for about five weeks. <laughs> it's only 50, no, I just read it five times. It's only 50 pages. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so, so, so this gentleman, he, um, he divides almost the creation of music into, and again, popular music, into two categories. The one was a singer-songwriter approach, mm. where, to the point, you, you have a verse and you have a payoff, you, you anticipate the payoff, the payoff comes, then you have a, you know, a little interlude, which is also kind of, you've heard it in the beginning, now you hear it again, now there's another verse that built on the instrumentation, make it a little bigger, again, you anticipate the payoff, and then you have a mid-eight 
brings a little bit of surprise, dissonance, and then mm. you have a double pay of two choruses at the end, and yes. then it ends with the outro, which is the same as the intro. Uh, so, uh, the, so, so he says uh. that is the <laughs> that they used to call the singer-songwriter approach, yeah. and the other approach that he's, uh, the guy said, which slowly crept into the music world, mm. was the what they call the track and hook songwriting approach, where literally every part of a of a musical progression of a musical work is mm. a payoff. So the, it, you start with a vamp or a hook or something that is immediately, it's, mm. you know, it sells the song oh, to you. Right. Then comes a, ver- right. a verse, a verse, a verse, which is also a payoff. Mm. Then comes a chorus, which may not be very different, but it's also a payoff. And, it, and at the end, you, mm. you have a song made up of, Accumu- of accumulated payoffs. Accumulated payoffs. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and does that say something? Of the culture. Goodness gracious. Does it say something of the way we... Oh, cons- that's very interesting. Uh, yeah. our, our consumerism. Uh, consumerism. I'm just wondering. No, that's a very interesting question. I, I think what's, what's um, one of one, the sort of two things lingering in my head. One thing I just want to quick, quickly mention, because I think people will actually ask the question, is where in the brain does music actually then work? Yeah. And the answer is everywhere. And this is, this is why this is so valuable to understand music as an expression of humanity as opposed to something coming out of some part of your brain. Very different parts of the brain, of course, distinctly used, is used for different parts, things in music. For example, rhythm is a brainstem cerebellar kind of function. Um, and your tonalities and, your, uh, and your, the music, the words are more uh, in the left side of the brain, most predominantly it's formulated. But when you sing it, it's actually a, it crosses over into right-sided function. Um, and you've got all kinds of things happening in different parts. But the brain itself, the whole brain is used when music is produced. And this is for me mm. quite useful, I think, for listeners to actually get that, right? Just for a moment, think about that. How valuable this is, why music is such a wonderful expression, expression of humanity. What's going to happen in pandemic? The question then is, okay, so we've got a consumer society. That's probably not going to go away. But we do have a, a world that's rapidly accelerating. Technology is so rampant. Mm. And many, the world is very aware of the need to be deeply interconnected. And so the question is, what will deep interconnected need do for music? Will that be a theme? Um, will that do something for this track and, ho- uh, track and hook or what is it? Your track and hook approach. Track and hook approach or something else. Will there be another approach? Yeah. What will the effect be of the mental pandemic? People are, anxiety and depression is rampant. Addiction, not far behind. So those are maybe the three big, big major um, components of the mental pandemic which is global, it's pandemic, it's pan. What will that do? And people, and then there's hopelessness in, amongst the young. Young people have got a lot of cha- major challenge when you think about the hope of what is for me, out there for me. There's no work, uh, there's a major challenge. Um, even, even the best education is not gonna give me a, a conventional job. I will have to go and look for something and that's almost hopeless for me. So what does that actually bring? Mm. And I'm just mentioning a couple of things. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to look back, and it's way easier with a retrospectoscope, right? Yeah. <laughs> to say, well, that's why. <laughs> yeah. I, I have one last thing that I want to put because we, we kind of need to land this. Um, alpha waves. Remember, you and I talked about that. Um, the, the concept of <laughs> this is it's a it's a popular thing now. You would have an audiobook, yeah. and then there would be a bed of music, which is long, sustained notes. The whole, and then people call it alpha waves. Oh, okay. What, what, what is that? Well, there's a business in Technopark called Alpha Wave. 
but that's got nothing to do with this. In fact, they're one of our investors. We love them. Really? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but that's the well, you, you should be able to say, okay, help us. <laughs> I wouldn't call them monotonous. <laughs> no. Sometimes I wish. Keep it safe. <laughs> so, um, so that the brain of roughly the brain consists of slow and fast waves. If you actually just put an EEG machine, right? You put a little electrodes on the surface of the brain and you can see uh, the brain goes fast and it's slower and then, of course, it's way slower. And so you've got the beta waves, that's very fast. You've got alpha uh, and then you've got the, uh, the slower ones, even slower, which is the theta waves and then the delta waves, which is deeply slow waves. You're using the back of the brain and so on. Now, the alpha state is called the state in which you are supposedly to be uh, in the best state for high performance. I think it is a pretty simplified, oversimplified way of looking at the brain. I don't think so. I know that, but I'm, going to try, I'm trying to be less opinionated about it. It's a very oversimplified way. So the alpha wave, my best guess, although I don't know the alpha wave concept, you know, the, the one mm -hmm. you gave, would be that the alpha wave refers to the state of the brain, which it gives you the, the state of high, what we call silent alertness, baseline relaxed physiological state, and a state of readiness to perform at your best. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's highly sought after, of course, for students and for performers yeah, and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. Have that. And, and does, it, does it ring <clears throat> absolutely resonate? I'm, I'm, uh, again, that was the correct answer. Well done. Thank you, Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the notes. <laughs> Let's not lie. That's <laughs> 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 not It's passed it on. No, um, yo, I, I think this could also be a, rog a regular one. Absolutely. Because there's so much, I want to speak about concepts like jazz versus, you know, some people love cl classical music mm. and you listen to difficult pieces of music, which is actually for the common, for the common person out there, just a bunch of dissonance. Yes. Mm. <laughs> really? Yeah. You know, and some people are drawn to that. As, yeah. I'm of the opinion very often that most people who like jazz don't really like it. They like the idea of it. Yeah, they should, be, you know, because because right. jazz is, is a is a, right. is a tricky one. It's it's a, it's a well, bit of an elitist. It's a bit of a it's yeah. a bit of a uh, sophisticated. Uh, sophisticated. So it gives me a bit of a it's a status. Symbol. It's a status thing. I love jazz. Uh, yeah. Yes. What do you listen? Jazz. Yeah. Why don't you listen? Rap. <laughs> no. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah. So they are fantastic rap songs, right? Phenomenal. <laughs> and uh, rap yeah. music, glass. Of Whiskey and cigar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so, but that's a, that's a fascinating idea, the idea of different, different genres in music and what mm -hmm. it does to us and what it says about um, our, um, our deeper intercultural thinking and, 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 and subcultural standing. But, of course, that's something, a whole topic for another day. For sure. Absolutely. Etienne, thank you so much. It was fascinating listening to you and just to hear how you integrate um, something that we work with every day, the business of music, but um, taking it to mm. a place that we don't see. <laughs> well, it's and a don't real even pleasure. understand. Lucas, uh, it's a real pleasure. I envy you guys. I would rather do it than think about it. But, uh, <laughs> and so in the music world, that's a, it's a phenomenal privilege you guys have to live here every day. Yeah, yeah, and again, mm. Etienne, thanks for a yeah. for a long journey together in music, in music and the brain, and uh, and Abbey Road. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, thanks to you, Helmut. Great, to, great to see you guys, man. 
Thank you. If you if you like this podcast, please uh, press the like button, subscribe and share, and uh, spread the knowledge on music in the brain. Till next time. Cheers.